Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 1 through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the great house, out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat there. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed some seeds, fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they had not much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell upon thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to him who has will more be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. With them indeed is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, You shall indeed hear, but never understand. You shall indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears are heavy of hearing. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should perceive with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn for me to heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns... This is he who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the delight in the riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is he who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, and in one case a hundredfold, and in another sixty, and in another thirty. The word of the Lord. You know, this is bad and wrong, and it's, it's not something that I'd do if I was really conscious about what I was doing. But sometimes I think, if you can think unconsciously, which I believe you can. In fact, it may be that thinking unconsciously is absolutely rampant. Like, most thinking that gets done is not conscious. 
Like, I mean, why do you spend $100 every time you go into Target when all you need is batteries? Maybe it's the invisible and intangible, unseen poison of the wicked demon brood, Tertullian imagines, lurking somewhere in the fluorescence. Maybe Tertullian's explanation is as good as any for what keeps us from being awake, fully alive, perceiving. Maybe not. But anyway, I sometimes think unconsciously, with a heart grown dull and ears heavy, that we are way smarter than the people who wrote the scripture. And I can barely even pay attention to it when I'm trying to read it. Matthew is no Einstein, no Naomi Klein, no Derrida, clearly. But after two days of despairing that I'll never be able to write a sermon again, the material is so unengaging. I'll suddenly, or maybe it's gradually, I'm not sure, be floored, stunned. This actually happens quite a lot. I see the threads are so densely woven, the layers of meaning so thick, the jokes so clever. The insight into the human condition so penetrating. And then finally, I remember, the Bible isn't stupid. Of course, it is confusing. But I think that that's maybe on purpose. Because we go around thinking we know much. But our ways of knowing are so formed by death and empire and some ludicrous human superiority complex and fear, the kingdom of the world, that these ways of knowing need to be confused. We need to be yanked out of our usual frame of reference to even have a chance of glimpsing the unrelentingly hopeful, ceaselessly loving goodness, God, the word of the kingdom, that stretches out so far beyond what we can even imagine. Our judgment is so impaired. We need something that will make us let it go, jar us, fling us somewhere much more fertile. That's the role of the parable. Of course, it doesn't always work. Jesus calls the story that Sonia read the parable of the sower. But then he goes on to talk much more about the seed, what happens to the seed. In fact, he says really nothing at all specifically about the sower. Maybe he thinks that's been covered other places. But you can infer some things. The sower doesn't seem worried. After all, everything that happens to the seed is utterly calm and totally to be expected. This isn't a story about the earth opening up and swallowing children or some radioactive monster rising out of the sea. It's about some seeds that fall along a path where the soil is packed down hard and the birds eat them. This really isn't a bad thing for the birds or a bad thing for the seeds. Some plant species thrive because birds eat them and transport them, fly all over the place, eliminating seeds through their bowels. What an unlikely method. 
But in this way, sunflower seeds, apple trees, morning glories spring up miles and miles and miles from where they started in surprising places, in desolate places. That seems super cool. But still, if we, the hearers of the parable, are this hard, packed-down soil, which Jesus does seem to suggest in his explanation, if our hearts are so hard that the seed can't penetrate, this may not be bad for the birds or the seed, but it seems sad for us. Jesus says that the seed is the word of the kingdom. This doesn't actually make everything crystal clear. But I think we can be fairly confident that he means the seed is good news. Like deeply beautiful, healing, love, truth, like light, hope, bread. There are no sufficient metaphors, but let's just say whatever it is, it could fill our desires and change the world. So how disappointing for us then when it can't even penetrate the surface. But how utterly common. Maybe most moments of most days, most people don't even absorb one little tendril of the love, as if some unseen poison in the breeze spread abroad its pestilent exhalations, diseases and grievous calamities. And we're so preoccupied by these, so closed down, we're impenetrable. Maybe it's depression, fear, anxiety. We're too sick or tired or sad or hurt. Or maybe it's because we think we're so smart or we're too arrogant to even receive the seed for whatever impossible possibility. We don't even notice the infinite love in which we have our being. But there are moments sometimes when the seed lands where there's a little bit of soil and we have sort of some glancing receptivity to it, some flicker of joy, but it doesn't take root. It doesn't last long. It doesn't have any significant impact. We're just barely penetrable. Something in us is able to receive for one, two, three minutes, but it's gone so quickly because we have no depth, because we're children of capitalism, because binging on House of Cards and watching sports doesn't create deep fertility. We're shallow. Or there's some hard ball of shame or fear or pain just under the surface that blocks the blossoming. And then there's some days the seed grows in us, but there are such thorns growing alongside it that they choke the life out of it. This is really the most painful of the possibilities. This isn't some small thing, the cares of the world, the weight of the world. If you have, in this or that moment, the sort of soil that the seed can penetrate, it implies a certain vulnerability. And then, the barbarous murder of children, teenagers kidnapping, beating, and burning each other to death, grown-ups launching bombs and revenge, global warming, the extinction of species, maybe relatively soon our species. A five-year-old riding her bike is hit by a car and killed. I could go on and on. The cares of the world deprive the plant of oxygen. Choke it. The seed sprouts and grows, 
but all the great sadness kills it. Or all the madness generated by the weight of the world, that thorny fear that makes us self-seeking and greedy for our own protection, unconcerned for the common or the universal good, the delight in our own riches, in our own privilege, padding against the thorns, chokes the great, big, beautiful hope. Happens all the time. No fruit. Sometimes, though, some moments the seed sprouts and bears fruit. This is also not uncommon. Look for it. Honor it. With all your being, kindness, compassion, people refusing the empire in fruitful ways, street art, Avo Morales, Bolivia, food shelves, James Allison, people loving their neighbor, their children, feeding the hungry, toppling regimes, melon, grapes, cantaloupes. Sometimes I'd like to believe we can cultivate the soil from moment to moment to receive the seed and grow the fruit. Through prayer and meditation, through reading actual literature, walking, sitting under trees, trying, just trying somehow. But I'm not sure it's true. We are dealt such different hands genes, DNA, the injustice of society. We don't choose our soil. And plus, it isn't even just the state of the soil. It's the sun and the rain, things clearly beyond our control. I mean, this could seem like a really, really sad parable. Because the chances that the conditions are going to be right for the beautiful fruit to grow seem so slim. One out of four seems practically tragic, like this is a tragic parable. Except there's actually something pretty funny about it, too. Like comedy, I'm not kidding. It's the whole part where the disciples ask, why do you speak in parables? And Jesus says, to you it's been given to understand the word, but to them it has not been given. As if the disciples are the good soil... But this is totally farce. It's practically hilarious. Because if you read on or if you've read the gospel even twice, especially if you've read it a thousand times, you will be deeply acquainted with the disciples' seemingly unending propensity not to get it at all. This is quite a big start of the story, part of the story, actually. Over and over and over and over and over again, they don't understand. They are so dense. And they all fall away. That wasn't in the description of the good soil. At one point later on, Jesus says, Take heed and beware the leaven of the Pharisees. It's the tiniest little bit of parabolic speech. And they huddle together and look at each other with puzzled expressions. What can he mean, leaven? We have no bread. They actually think Jesus is talking about actual bread. Who could miss this? They miss what seems completely obvious. And Jesus says with an enormous sigh, rolling his eyes, How is it that you fail to perceive that I didn't speak about bread? 
They're like the three stooges. At least once in a while, this is sort of funny. And Jesus loves them, never gives up trying with them. But the disciples not understanding is such a blatant feature of the narrative. If Jesus' explanation of the parable doesn't strike you as funny on the first time through, it will least strike you as ironic on the second read. And then there's this. I'm not actually sure if this is supposed to be funny, but it seems like it to me. Jesus calls Peter the rock. Maybe we've heard that as a compliment. The rock on which the church is built. But the rock is the worst place for the seed to land. Jesus starts out the gospel warning them all about this. I don't think rock is a compliment. I wonder if the text is so sly that we miss the jokes, or we take it somehow too seriously. But of course it isn't only funny. In order for the seed to have a chance to grow, the rock needs to be shattered, which Peter is eventually, but not till the very end, not until the cock crows. And then he goes out and weeps bitterly, broken, open. So tragedy, comedy, probably a mixture of both, I don't really know for sure, but I do know that all this purports to be the gospel, the good news of great joy for all people. In the very first chapter of the Bible, God says, let there be light, let there be vegetation, let there be seed. God creates, so the story goes, out of nothing, plant-yielding seeds and trees bearing fruit, which is their seed, ferns and flowers and jungles and pine forests, lemon trees, olive trees, pomegranates, tomatoes. It seems like the sort of thing, the ability to do that, might make the creator pretty confident that there will be fruit. And then not long before Jesus tells this parable, in the beginning of Matthew, John the Baptist yells at some people, God is able to raise up children from stone. Children from stone. The living from the dead. This is also an important theme in the Gospels. And yes, it's all a bit much to believe, raising the living from the dead. But consider the seed. Seeds aren't like thunderbolts or lightning bombs, armies, the gods of old, powerful men. A seed is a sort of weak image. If you're thinking that the word of God might be like a hammer in the hands of a giant or something powerful like that. A seed is often, though not always, very, very, very tiny. And actually, it hardly even looks like it's alive. In fact, the metabolic processes we associate with life, respiration, growth, are so slow in a seed that they're nearly undetectable, even using meticulously designed biochemical tests. They don't move very fast. They might not even seem alive to us, and yet... There are seeds that germinate after having been dormant for 2,000 years. 
For example, the seeds of lotus plants. I'm really not making this up. The oldest viable carbon-14 dated seed that's grown into a plant was a Judean date palm seed, thousands of years old. A narrow-leafed campion, a beautiful little flower with lilac-colored petals, was regenerated from fruit that had been frozen in the Siberian permafrost for 31,800 years. A seed seems like a weak image, They can't walk, for instance. But they have evolved so many ways to disperse and germinate. Jack pines through blazing hot fire. Some seeds have a wing. Maple seeds have two wings. Milkweed poplar and dandelion seeds have hairs that blow in the wind. Some plants produce buoyant seeds that float in rivers to the oceans and then wash up on the beaches and germinate. Seeds with barbs or hooks attached to animal furs or feathers, and they drop off later and eventually blossom. Seeds with a fleshy covering are eaten by animals, which are dispersed their seeds and their droppings. The dispersal of seeds by ants is important. Ants carry nutritive seeds back to their nests where they eat part of them, but then the remainder of the seed, which is too hard for the ant to eat, germinates. Who knew the possibilities were so crazy, so wild, so endless? No wonder the sower is so relaxed. The sower is so optimistic. In Isaiah, to which Matthew repeatedly refers, the sower, God says, Indeed, my plans are not like your plans, And my deeds are not like your deeds. No kidding. No machinery. And yet, the rain falls from heaven and waters the earth and yields crops and provides seeds for the plants and food for those who need to eat. In the same way, God says in Isaiah, the promise I make does not return to me having accomplished nothing. It is realized as I desire and it is fulfilled as I intend. And here comes some more and more crazy what God intends. Indeed, you will go out with joy, and all the trees of the fields will clap their hands. Evergreens will grow in the place of thorn bushes. Firs will grow in places of nettles. Maybe our faculties of perception have been so shut down by empire, by the kingdom of the world, that the good news is really hard to hear. Maybe you need a very, very, very long view. But surely it's evident that there is much more than we know, much more than we see and perceive. Trust the love of the sower. Eat the bread that's made from the seed. Of course, go ahead and plow, and weed, and cultivate, agitate for the good, and don't be afraid.